0: If I am, I'm sorry, but um, got a lot to take off my chest. And I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. I'm going to wait because um, I'm not going to let my long windedness get in the way of what other things happened. Other things that ended up, you know, all's well that ends well. In Peru's case, deserved, man. You know what? They came through. They put their balls on the table. They said, hey, this is what we're about. This is what we're about. This is our identity. Okay, we lost against Uruguay. Yeah, they were unbearable. The press. The Peruvian press. They were un-fucking-bearable. And the days after that, loss against Uruguay. They didn't do enough. Plain and simple. You still have a chance if Whitley took advantage of it, did Peru? They jumped on a Paraguay that just... Eh. It's Paraguay is... Eh. That's the only thing you can say about this team. Uh, regardless of the coach. Whoever. You can go back. All these guys. That's all Paraguay is. Yes, they they played sensational at home, but when they they leave their fortress, they end up being a team that you start looking at them and you end up saying, well, where was this team the other day? And inversely, you can say, well, where was the team that we saw the other day at today? I mean, if you look at Paraguay, Away from home. Let's 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 be more specific. Away from home, Paraguay have not won in World Cup qualifying play away from home since October of 2020. That ends up being basically eight matches that they have not won away from home. That match against Venezuela. The match before that, and I'm not even going i'm not even going into this qualifying phase i'm going into 2017. that was the match before that one the, the one against venezuela you know who they beat then colombia a different colombia a very different colombia a colombia that on that occasion they were winning one nil in the span of three minutes i remember because i was doing the game was kind of like looking on the you know just out of the corner of my eye, seeing what's going on on social media how, how the game was going Colombia was winning yet we're going to qualify for the World Cup yay, yay 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 I jump in my car and I'm like no 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 in a span of three minutes Colombia were winning on the verge of going to the World Cup and then they were not they would advance later on they would really advance in the next match against Peru but that's a different story a different time a different age back to a bit, I guess. but Peru like I said, when when they when they lost, or actually when when, when Peru beat Colombia, I said, look, the coach that ended up winning this match was the coach that should have been the Colombian national team coach. Of, of course, Ricardo Gareca decides to stay as coach of Peru. Perfectly fine. And I think he's one of the best coaches in South America. To be quite honest with you, because of what he's done with what he has. People forget. People and and and, and I was listening on, on, on Colombian radio. Oh, because Ricardo got it and Peru. Descended. People forget that after five rounds, after six rounds, people had Peru done and dusted. Peru only had one point out of fifteen starting this World Cup qualifying phase. One. They were dead last. I mean, not even last. Dead last. And yet they were able to turn. People were talking about the double director resigning. People were talking about the double director sucked You People forget that. And all of a sudden, they slowly but surely turned it around, just like they did in the last one. That's why you end up seeing of a similarity of what happened last time. And it ended up being the same, at least for me. Observedly so, and I, and, I, and I said it when when they beat Colombia. Fine, Colombia didn't have, they didn't show this overwhelming football when they played and, and I'm not saying that that's the match that, they, that, that blew their opportunities. It ends up Being the one that's the most noticeable, because it's the most recent, it's the one that uh, hurt the most. It was the most accessible, if you will. But Peru did their job. They've done their job when they have to. Okay, fine, the result against Uruguay didn't go their way. that's, That's in the cards. That's reasonable. But they still had enough of a cushion, enough of an advantage, and of course other results that went their way on that day, that... You end up seeing, hey, there's still a chance for them to be able to get that playoff spot. And they did. They went back home and they took care of business. Plain and simple. That's how it was. So you have to give credit where credit's due. Peru and, and Ricardo Gareca, Peru are one of the best teams or one of the most maximized teams. And you say, what? Why not Brazil? Why-? and them too i'm just saying that they haven't been maximized just yet because many are still waiting and seeing if, if that if that maximization can occur when they head to Qatar you know they want to see the best Argentina they want to on top of the media the, the the coaches the players want to see the best Brazil the best Argentina in Qatar Peru. This might be as good as it gets, but that's still enough to have them compete. Okay, this might be as good as it gets for Peru, but it's enough to have them compete. Now, it's not done and dusted yet. They still have to play the winner of of the UAE against Australia, which might end up being a very complicated match in and of itself, especially in a neutral site, especially maybe not having your home fans, most likely not having your home fans, and playing against a team that is more familiar with that sector of the world. Australia is more accustomed to making those long travels into the Middle East than Peru is. Plain and simple. First and foremost, they did their job great, congratulations, And they they did it in very tough situations. They beat Colombia on the road. They were able to get important results, like I said, in World Cup qualifying play. You start looking at, at the results that they got. They ended up, like I said, beating Paraguay. They end up getting a point against Ecuador. They end up beating Venezuela on the road. They end up, beating Bolivia at home. They end up beating Chile. They end up... You know, those types of matches are the ones that ended up making the difference for them. So let's not kid ourselves. Oh, it was one game. No, 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 no. There was a lot of other games that ended up being just as vital that put them in the situation or got them to the situation to where they're in right now. So that in and of itself shows the collective character Of this Peruvian side. Now, let me switch over. I'm I'm not going to talk about Argentina. I'm not going to talk about Brazil. I'm not going to talk about Ecuador. And uh, maybe I'll talk a little Uruguay. But that's maybe as much as I'm going to go. And I'll I'll actually start with them. With Uruguay. Because you can't... uh, Today was... And I might be linked to that party. Or that argument. Or that uh, narrative. But today was one of the first days where I said, you know what? You can't have Edinson Cavani anymore as a starter. Obviously, he gets injured. Obviously, he he, he has he has issues in terms of, of, of continuity. If, if there's a lot of successive matches where he plays, he ends up suffering. Okay, perfect. Uh, can't have him anymore. Luis Suarez... He scores the goal, or at least the first one. Man, props to him. He was at the right place at the right time, but now, I guess in, in not, not uh, in the past couple of weeks, but at least in the last nine months, ten months, I can truly say that Luis Suarez is, is, is not just one step slower. He's about two, maybe three steps slower than he was before. And at 35 years of age... He's a player that is not going to offer. It just seems like he is the. He is the. the Handbrake on the team. Uh, in that proverbial car. He's the one that forces Uruguay. And even to a certain extent. Atletico Madrid to play slower. Yes he'll still score goals. Yes he'll still be able to make a difference. Inside of the area. But. Outside of that, outside of the other areas, other phases of the game, he ends up being more of a liability and a limitation than a benefit to have on the pitch. So you start looking at Darwin Nunez. What about him? And and I believe Darwin Nunez should be the starter for Uruguay. But then who else? That's the big question. Who else? Who else steps up? No one stepped up in that position. Now... In the back, you start to see more Georgian Tarascaeta step up, uh, Federico Valverde stepping up, Rodrigo Betancourt stepping up. You see the midfield now quickly becoming the strong point of this Uruguayan side, the one that, that offers that balance. Because in the back, I don't know how much more time you can have a Diego Godin. I don't know how much more you can stand having a, a, a Jose Maria Jimenez in the back uh, causing problems. That's why you saw um, uh, Sebastián Cuátes. Um, And a goalkeeper, goalkeepers in Uruguay need to start working on their hands more. I don't know if working on their hands is going to be enough, especially for for Fernando Muslera. Sergio Rochet, at the same time, you end up looking at him, a very promising goalkeeper, but way too many screw-ups, way too many... Moments where he ends up giving up rebounds or, or making mistakes inside of the area. And that could end up harming Uruguay in the long scheme. But Rochette will most likely be the, the goalkeeper of the future. We'll see how that plays out. Anyway, moving on. Chile! Chi-chi-chile-le-le. it has been nice, but Chile, there was no way that you could say Chile was going to have a chance. And you could say it based on how they had played in recent weeks. In recent rounds, I should say. What? What do you mean? They were able to beat Bolivia. Yes, they were able to, be, be, able to able to beat Bolivia. But they've only won one of their last four, and in the three match three matches that they lost in that during that time, they looked poor. Uh, the match that can basically start kissing their aspirations goodbye wasn't Brazil. It was Argentina doing everything they did to try it. They sent them to Calama, an altitude, and it just seemed that Argentina were better. Even all of that, all of that logistical movement that they were doing, it still wasn't enough. You see a team that's very long in the tooth. You see a team that needs a generational change you know it's one at one point in the match you started to see Alexis Sanchez get the ball Arturo Vidal get the ball and each time they did you'd hear you'd hear clapping you'd hear the fans you know acknowledging them Arturo Vidal comes out after the second goal and the entire stadium at, at San Carlos de Apoquindo gets gets up a standing ovation thanking thanking um, Arturo Vidal for his service That golden generation of Chile ends up having quite a few negative marks in its overall legacy. Did it heighten Chilean football? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But not going to two consecutive World Cups ends up being a huge scar that that legacy cannot, I repeat, cannot overcome. That's something that that you start looking at and... You end up really questioning that that overall legacy. Now, I mean, there's are there positives? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, winning two Cup Americas a team that's never won that had never won one before and winning it on back to back occasions is a great thing. But not qualifying for two World Cups back to back might be just as strong or maybe even stronger. So you'll have that conversation going on when these players decide to to retire from the from international play, and maybe some even retiring, fully. The problem is, who do you bring in? You who who are the, the players of the future for Chile? Yeah, Ben Brereton's Ben Brereton Diaz, is is the the first one that ever one's going to point to, and rightfully so. I I think he, he's done everything within his power, everything that he's been able to do to show the commitment going forward and and maybe be that uh, torchbearer going into the future. That's going to be tough. There's going to be some dark, dire days in, in terms of Chile at the national team level trying to be able to get some, some opportunities to get to the World Cup. I don't know. It's very few and far between the players that I can see coming forward and truly making Chile. I'm not even talking about a team that's going to win another Copa America, that's going to get to another World Cup. Although the next World Cup qualifier might be a bit more benevolent for, for Colmebo. You're going to start to see the tide begin to, to shift in South American football. And I think at that axis, at that pivot, Chile is one of them. That's what I think that's that, you're going to see they're, they're going to be the ones that, that kind of end up turning around and you start seeing more of Ecuador. You start seeing maybe even more of Venezuela not that, not that I'm I mean Venezuela has shown very little, but you're going to start seeing as soon as as the younger players become more involved and they, they get more work under Jose Beckerman that they're going to become a team to be reckoned with in South American play. Well, does it mean that they're going to qualify? Not necessarily. But they're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix. So, there we go. Uh, um, Finally. This is the tough one. I said in one case with Peru, all's well that ends well. Well, all's bad that starts bad. When Ramon room takes over, actually, let me, let me think about this real quick. Let me look at it once again and, and analyze things that end up being a bit more um, clear and more concise. Because th- what I'm about to say is going to be very packed with a lot of, lot of very very strong things. right like i said i had to get my thoughts together here because like i said all's bad that starts bad when ramon jesurun takes over as president of the colombian fa one of the first things he wanted to do was change and we love change don't we we love change we love hey, we're gonna change the problem was that you had something good going when you, when you had Jose Peckerman. Now, and, and, and I wish I could do this in Spanish so I could start pointing out things to certain journalists and people that, that all of a sudden now realize, Ooh, we fucked up. Uh, during the Peckerman era, during the Peckerman era, there was a lot of shit thrown in Pecker's way. They, they tried to find ways to make his his work a bit more difficult. They, the media constantly were after him. Many in the media I should say, there were, there were many that were not. But those that did were incessantly. Why? Simple. In Colombia, there, there's been an era, there's been an age, there's been a style of journalism that if. You don't give me an interview. That if you don't give me the exclusive. That if you don't give me the lineup. That if you don't give me this or you don't give me that. Or you give me first privileges privileges, or I get first dibs at. Then I go against you. I become your enemy. I become the one that you don't want to have constantly on your ass. That's what happened with Jose Pequeno. didn't get interviews to many people because many, of course, were, were very, in, very... Amicable with previous coaches, especially the Colombian ones. Exclusively the Colombian ones, because there weren't any um there weren't any uh foreign coaches for nearly two two and a half decades in Colombia for So they, they they befriended the coaches, they talked both to the coaches, the coaches gave interviews, the coaches were very candid. So when that happened, yeah, they, they talked great things about the coaches. It's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing. It was just the way it is. It's the, it's the modus operandi of, of, of Colombian journalism when it came to football. When Beckerman comes in, he changes that. He comes in and he was looking to work and he's looking to establish a style of play, a logistical uh, roadmap, if you will. He, he's looking to create a, a form of work. A style of work, a style guide, if you will, uh, of how the national team is going to comport itself. How how they're going to approach this project. He goes in, starts getting results. He starts getting results, and results, and results, and results. So he does have the three things that you need. You need the results, you need the style... And you needed players that were informed, that were doing great, and that ends up being very crucial for the overall sanity of what's the second now. It ends up being a little bit more chaotic. You have players that maybe weren't in their best form at that point going into year, Russia 2018, but still, journalism, the journalists of note. Prevalent ones ended up going after him, constantly talking about his son because his son was part of that uh, entourage, part of uh, the technical staff, and they were talking about all types of things that were going on from the conflicts of interest. They went right after him. So Ramon Jesurum comes in and he says, "You know what? I'm going to change things. I'm going to bring a coach." Many reasons. We need a Columbia coach. So, not only do you have a team of coaches, uh, but also you have some kind of When it came to me, the- yeah. and you start saying, wait a second, this guy is taking you further than any other coaches ever taken you. want to be it doesn't make sense, but in Columbia, it made sense. We need to have a coach that understands the players like, well, that go So what do they do? Well, they go out and they get their skills. Great man. I've spoken to him before. Very classy individual. He just didn't fit in. He didn't fit He wanted to, but he didn't. That's just plain and simple right here. So, so you know all's bad when it starts bad. It's the complete opposite of all is well that ends well, right? Um, uh, all's bad that starts bad. And in his case, Keiros doesn't understand Colombia, or at least the players on the, on the Colombian side at that point are no longer the up and comers, the ones that are looking to to be, be hungry and go. In in, in find glory, you know, James Rodriguez had already played at Real Madrid and at Bayern Munich. You had other players that were amongst the best in 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 their teams. They were mostly all playing in Europe. They were very prevalent at that stage. So maybe you can you can make an argument. I you know I, I can't say that you cannot about them being hungry or not. That's a very subjective thing. But when you look at how Kairos wanted to handle things. If you look at it from, from from a wide spectrum and say, hey, you know what? It's not a bad idea to try and be more modern. Hey, you know what? We can't defend dropping back. We can't defend waiting. We have to go up and press together. One of the first things that he did or that he wanted to do, like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that type of thing here. So then you have a bit of resistance. You have some bit of friction Aldo Queiroz, a few weeks ago, says no. The one that actually uh, made all this happen happened to be Álvaro González, who's one of the main vice presidents in, in, in the Colombian FA who's, who's really who really made his life miserable, and, and he actually did. So you had frictions. You had a, a coach that wanted to do one thing, players that wanted to do another thing, and, and it never... And when you have that, that tugging back and forth, players want to do something completely different, well, you had things like that 6-1 against Ecuador. So, when things went to shit, Guidos was the first one to go. It's easier to take, I mean, it always is going to be easier to get rid of one person than it is to be able to get rid of 26. And at this point, you have a James Rodriguez that's not playing not even at Real Madrid. Not even at Bayern Munich. Hell, not even at Everton at, at, at some points during this World Cup qualifying phase. And Queiroz was already long gone by then. And at Alrayan. It's funny because he was playing at Alrayan. And you, you when you'd see Colombian sports highlights. Oh, James had a great game for Alrayan. And we're like, wait a second. I'm, at least I'm like, I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not talking about anyone else. I'm talking about me. I'm like, wait a second. You're, you're, you're starting to bring in the Qatari League is a league of reference for a player of his level. And you're trying to make it sound like he's playing at Bayern Munich, at Real Madrid, at wherever, even at Everton. Hell, you know, a team that's fighting for relegation. In the, well, Everton is at least this year, but not when Hamas was there. X or Y team fighting for relegation in Europe still isn't this, is still about a notch or two higher than what Al-Rayyan is over in the Qatari Stars League. That's not a knock on the Qatari Stars League. That's just the reality of of what it is and what the the level of play is there. It is what it is. So to have Hamas be that guy and and be constantly mentioned in that light ends up making things a bit... uh, you know, there's this dystopic view about about how Hamas was playing. You know, wait a second. He's not. He's not. He's not a world beater. You know how good he would have to be in order for him to be considered. He'd have to be five times better. I don't know what that. How that would be measured, but if you get the idea, he'd have to be five ten times better than the best player behind him in the Qataris Stars League for him to be considered one of the best players uh, in Colombia. Of course, Luis Diaz then comes center stage. And starts taking over. So that kind of takes away some of the flair of Hamas Rodriguez. But Hamis, if there's a player that needs to no longer be on the national team, it's Hamis Rodriguez. No longer. Done. History. That, that soap opera is done. Because he will never be what he was forgetting in 2014. I'm talking about just the past couple of years. Falcao, uh, this this one's a hard one. But Falcao no longer needs to be on the national team. Lerma, Davidson Sanchez, Jeremina, on and on and on. There's about seven or eight players, ten players that may. That, well, Cuadrado will probably no longer be. He'll be 37 by the time 2026 rolls around. So that ends up being uh, kind of an obvious thing another generation that goes and in, 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 to a certain extent underachieves. Uh, Albert Gonzalez has been a cancer to Colombian football. He's done more to, to ruin projects than to be able to strengthen them, empower them, benefit them. And... Uh, that ends up being one of the big issues why Colombia's not in the World Cup. It's not making excuses. It's, it's, it's reality. It's not, it's not that, you know, oh, well, you know, we lost this game, or they lost this game, or they won this game, or they drew this game. No, 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 no. They won against Venezuela. And and, and people are, are, are disgusted in the way they played. Because Venezuela played better. With as limited a sign as Venezuela is right now. They played better than Colombia, and they still won. So no one's talking about results here. There was a chance. In Colombia had a chance. Colombia didn't score for over six hundred forty forty something minutes. They didn't score for over seven games. If they would have scored at least in one, 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 they at least get points. One in one. Some cases. Three in others. If they would have just scored in one. Of course, now I get into the world of suppositions and all that other shit. Which <laughs> what what am I gonna get out of it? But understand that there's no excuse. They didn't do their job, they didn't do what they had to do, and it was too little too late. Yeah, they won. Yeah, they scored goals against Bolivia, but Bolivia, what kind of a measuring stick is Bolivia? No knock on Bolivia, but that's just the reality that they're facing right now. I hope you understand. It's it's it's, it's I mean it's a bit of a event session, yeah. It's a bit of a rant, yeah. But it's something that needs to be said. Because a lot of times you hear in, in, in Colombian media, well, you know, this yeah, they go and they and they hit them hard, but then they start saying, Well, because we need to bring in this player, we need to bring in that player. It sounds like Mexico. You know, it's at times it's, it has that delusional tone to it. A lot of times it's been delusional. Hey, mind mind you, I remember when I was back in nineteen ninety four, going to a stadium watching Colombia play AC Milan. They were selling T-shirts outside before the World Cup, saying Columbia World Champions. I saw those jerseys. So delusional, yeah. I think we know a thing or two about being that in Colombian culture, and sadly, it's bit us. Yet again, right in the ass.